You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Bringing you the best story, best trends, and best game from the best conference. Fourth and manageable. An SEC football podcast. Brought to you by 2400 Sports. Now, here's Brad Edwards. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and welcome into Fourth and Manageable, our new podcast on SEC football. I'm Brad Edwards, joined by Tyler Bray, and we're going to take you through what happened today in the SEC, week two, which, Tyler, was very different from week one. SEC teams went 13-1 and in week one, and uh, most of them looked really good in the process. You cannot say the same thing about the SEC in week two. Very few teams looked as good as they were expected to. And uh, we'll we'll get into that right now, starting with number one, Alabama. I, I worked with Lou Holtz for several years at ESPN and, uh, you know, Lou said a lot. <laughs> um, but there were a few things that he said, he was the king of coach speak, uh, you know, back in his days, especially at Notre Dame. And uh, just saying things, um, to the media to motivate his team or whatever it may be. But there were a few things that, that he said that I thought there was a lot of truth in. And one of them, which I think applies here to Alabama is he said that to win the national championship, you don't have to be the best team in the nation every week. You just have to be the best team on the field every week. Okay. The best team in the stadium. And, uh, if, if there's one thing you can say for Alabama, actually, I don't even know that they were the best team in the stadium today against Texas, but they came out on the right end of the scoreboard. And that was, was Lou's point is, is that you just got to win. And if you keep winning and keep winning, you're eventually going to be there at the end. And especially if you're in the sec. So Tyler, from that perspective, they, they got the win. What, what is it like in the locker room after a game like that, that maybe it wasn't pretty, but it's a win? Because I think so many of us, whether it's fans or media, we, we like to nitpick and it's like it wasn't as pretty as you wanted it to be. But at the end of the day, it's a win. Yeah, uh, Texas came out today and, you know, had the energy from the you know first snap. And I don't think Alabama came out flat. They didn't. They didn't look like the team we saw last week. I mean, regardless who they played last week, they just didn't look like they were clicking today. And I think uh, they need to get back on the drawing board and, you know, get these receivers and get Bryce Young, you know, connected because 10 points for the through the first three quarters is not the typical Alabama offense we're used to. Right. And and through three quarters, Alabama had 186 yards of offense um, and well, even 20 points for the game, which is what they ended up with, is, is not what we're used to seeing from Alabama, especially against a defense that struggled as much as Texas has in recent years. But I mentioned the 188 yards through three quarters. 
they got 186 yards in the fourth quarter alone. And that happened after Texas had kicked a field goal to go up 16-10. And, and then and you, you just kind of had a feeling. I think everyone around the country is like, okay, Texas has done everything they could to have more than a touchdown lead at this point, and they're only up six. Here's where Alabama finally puts it together. And that's exactly what happened. Bryce Young marches the team down. They score a touchdown. And then just when you think Alabama is going to put the game away, they they end up getting stopped on fourth and one, turn the ball back to Texas, and Texas uh, ends up kicking a field goal to retake the lead, but they left too much time. Bryce Young, you know, minute and a half left on the clock, drives down. Alabama kicks a field goal with about 10 seconds left to win it. What are your impressions of Bryce Young? Just, I mean, number one overall, and then number two specifically in that fourth quarter, what do you see out of him that maybe you don't see in a typical quarterback in a situation like that? I think he craves the big time, like the big moments. It seems like every time the lights are on and it's, you know, they need a play, he, he shows up. I mean, it didn't, you saw through the first three quarters, 80, they had what an 82 yard run. And that was about it on offense. That was about half their offense for the first three quarters was one play. Yeah. And so, I mean, kind of just slept walk through the first half and most of the third quarter and then the fourth quarter came and they needed him and, you know, he showed up. The, uh, the, the three drives they had in the fourth quarter, I mentioned the, the 188 yards. Uh, Bryce Young accounted for all but 11 of those yards, that including 41 uh, yards rushing. So he was doing it every way possible. In fact, the biggest play on what ended up being the game-winning drive for the field goal uh, was a, a corner blitz, and he was dead to rights. And somehow he ducked it and ended up scrambling, uh, ran for about 20 yards, and that's what got them firmly in the field goal position there on that drive. What what do you see in his his composure, his vision? I mean, there, we we we've seen a lot of great quarterbacks in football over the years, and and you know some of them have certain traits that others don't. Uh, but but man, the guy just seems so calm, even in the the most pressure packed situations. Yeah, you never really see him flustered. I mean, even you know when they need him at the end, corner blitz, like you said, he just ducks under it, goes and gets the first down with his legs, and you know flips the ball to the ref and like let's go let's go win this. And so you never you never see him you know panicking in the pocket. He's always calm. He takes the same drop almost you know every play, and he kind of just sits back there, surveys the field. And in the past, he's found open receivers, but for the most part today, it was, you know, guys not being where they needed to be, it seemed like. You know, they weren't sitting in zones like receivers are supposed to on certain routes, and they just they just looked off. It looked like a lot of, not miscommunication, but just just him not, the receivers not knowing where he wants them to be. How important is that composure for the rest of your teammates on offense. I know it's one of those things like if you're a leader, you don't want people to see you rattled because you can kind of affect everyone else. And I'm sure as a quarterback, you, you want to convey confidence, but you can't fake it. I mean, how, how difficult is that to do? I mean, you, you spent your whole life playing quarterback as far as not just actually acting like you're calm, but, but really being calm and really being in control. Yeah, you definitely can't fake it. Guys will see right through that. And I think Bryce has a, you know, 
has done a great job at that. You know, when they're down, which is rarely, but if they are down, you never you never see him worried. Never see Alabama really worried because of how he composes himself when you know stuff's not going right. And so he's a hell of a leader. I mean, they got a they got a good one. Let's talk about a few things in this game that certainly will you know be part of the the conversation. Uh, why Alabama won? I mean, one of the big ones is that Texas starting quarterback Quinn Ewers, who played a great first quarter, was injured um, on a on a play where he was hit right as he threw, uh, was driven into the ground, uh, shoulder injury. We're not sure you know how long he's going to be out, but he missed the rest of the game. They had to go to the backup quarterback, Hudson Card, who ended up taking a big hit and was injured. And I, for pretty much the whole second half, just seemed like he was limping around out there, wasn't 100%. So there's an element of it where you could say, like, hey, Alabama, you know, got lucky with the with the Texas quarterback injuries. Like, as close as the game was, you kind of feel like if Texas – it had a healthy starting quarterback, it probably wouldn't have been that close. But then there's another part of me that I, just, I I watch what Bryce Young does, and it just seems like when he needs to turn it on, he does. When that offense needs to make a play, they do. And, and so the other side of me just wonders, like, would it have mattered? Like, if Texas had scored 40, would Alabama have scored 41? Um, but but yeah, the, the the Texas quarterback situation uh, was definitely a big part of this. Do you do you think there's a natural letdown? Maybe it is. If you see the other team's starting quarterback go out early, backup comes in. Is there is there something like just in human nature where you feel like okay, we got this, and maybe you lose some of your own intensity? I, I mean, may, maybe that's. Harder for you to say, given the position you play, but it but it it might be one of those things that's more applicable to the to the defense. But at the same time, maybe maybe it's just the Alabama guys are feeling like, hey, we don't have to score a ton of points. It's not going to be a track meet anymore. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I mean, whenever you you know a quarterback goes out, the first string guy goes out, you're now the team's not playing at full strength. They don't have the guys they're used to running with. And I think the Texas kind of struggled after he went out with attacking the the defense downfield because you saw when he was in, they were, you know, taking shots. Sarkeesian was dialing them up. You know, they were hitting them too. And then after he went out, it just seemed like it kind of went away. And Card, as good as he played and kept him in the game, I mean, he <laughs> was playing with one leg. So <laughs> he was kind of immobile. Was his back there having to be a pocket passer, which I don't think is his game. I think he wants to, you know, get out of the pocket and get some movement. And so it's it's tough. Uh, so I can see, yeah, that, you know, Alabama would kind of not let down, but, you know, pull off the gas a little bit mentally thinking, OK, we got this. They're stud quarterbacks down. Yeah. And, and besides that, I mean, you look at, at what happened, especially with the final score being a one point win for Alabama. They, Texas missed a 20 yard field goal in the last play of the first half. Texas had a safety that ended up being taken off the scoreboard because of a play that I still haven't figured out exactly how this happened. It was initially called a, a safety, but was overturned because of targeting on a sack, um, roughing the passer by targeting. They ended up 
waving off the roughing the passer and the targeting, but for whatever reason, the safety didn't stand. It ended up being an incomplete pass. And I mean, look, that two points, when Texas loses by one, I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe if Alabama needed a touchdown on that last drive, they would have gotten it instead of settling for a field goal. We, we can't say one way or the other. Uh, but those are two other things that happened that game, that, that, that chip shot field goal they missed and then the safety being taken off the board. In addition to the quarterback situation for Texas, that like there were just so many things Texas has to look back at and just say, what if? Yeah, they were they were close. I mean, they left five points on the field. And doing that against Alabama, you're not going to come out with a win. It is very tough to beat Alabama when you, you know, play a perfect game, but to go out there and leave five points on the field is tough. And I mean, the field goal, kind of a bad snap, bad hold, but he still got it up when his foot was coming through and he just kind of snap hooked it. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I just can't leave points. And the, the safety, I don't know. It looked like his uh, elbow was down. I don't know if they're yeah, counting I, that as being – I don't – I didn't get the ruling. It kind of just brushed it forward. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't understand how the safety didn't stand. Um, and, you know, it, it just – it's almost inevitable. Every time that happens, it ends up being significant uh, to the final score. And in this case, it, it – may well have been obviously if you add two points to texas it changes who wins the game but like i said it's it's not always that simple considering that alabama had the ball down there with plenty of time to go for the end zone at the end if they had needed to but last thing on alabama uh, what are your concerns coming out of this game for alabama obviously preseason number one uh came into this game ranked number one um but not a lot of positives. I mean, outside of the composure they showed in in making the plays to win the game down the stretch, you know, not a lot out there today that you would say looks like, uh, you know, a team that that's got a good chance to win the national championship. Yeah, I think right now, uh, offensively, the QB and receiver uh, relationship needs to get better. Uh, it's not the same guys he had last year, and so there's going to be that you know, time it takes to get it down. But I mean, this is week two. You've had all off season. You've had two games now. Uh, it's about time to get going. And on defense, they need to eliminate the stupid penalties. I mean, they had two of them were costly today. They had a third down. You get an offside penalty. And then you have another personal foul and extends the drive. And it's Alabama's defense has been so good and, you know, they're always so disciplined. And then you see this on tape with the offense and you're just like, what's going on with Alabama? Yeah, I guess the, it, it, in the end, I mean, yeah, we, we documented the the injuries at quarterback for Texas, so it shouldn't be that much of a surprise, but it, as, as poorly as it seemed like things went for the Alabama defense, it stretches during that game. They allowed one touchdown. You know, Texas had four field goals, and that ended up being the difference is that they got stops in the red zone and they forced field goal attempts after Texas was able to make some plays, put together some drives. And you mentioned the penalties. Alabama had 15 penalties, which is the most they've ever had in any game in Nick Saban's, I think it's, what is it now, 16 seasons there. And they had all of those in the first three quarters. They didn't get penalized in the fourth quarter. They had 15 penalties in the first three quarters. So, um, obviously a lot to clean up on the Alabama end. And then just to, to, to finish up with Alabama, um, I, I, I'm guessing you would think that Georgia is your clear number one, right? Like there, there's no question that Georgia is the best team in the nation through two weeks for whatever it's worth through week two. 
Yeah, they definitely, I mean, Georgia put it on tape. Alabama, you know, put it on tape first week. They didn't really play anybody. And then they finally played an opponent and, you know, squeaked one out. Yeah, and it's it's got to be based on what you've done on the field. And Georgia has been the best team on the field through two games. And so uh, I'll be surprised if Georgia's not an emphatic number one when the polls uh, come out. So let's transition to a conference game, which was probably the most significant game of the day in the conference, and that was Kentucky at Florida. It was um, it was an entertaining first half, not so much an entertaining second half, but a, a very good second half for Kentucky in which they shut Florida out. They ended up um, coming from behind, winning the game. And, uh, you know, after Florida kind of, Surprise some people in the college football world by by upsetting a top 10 Utah team in week one. You know, Kentucky comes into that same stadium here in week two, and uh, they come out of there with a double-digit win. And, uh, I mean, just a, a not only a great win for Mark Stoops and the Wildcats, um, but because of who they beat and where they beat them, it puts them in a, in a really good spot uh, to – it's so hard to say be a contender because they're in the same division as Georgia, but at the same time, it got a chance to have a really good season. Yeah. And they didn't get, you know, the greatest play from their quarterback who's a potential first round guy. And they still went out there and beat number 12, Florida by 10. I mean, they controlled the line of scrimmage all day. It seemed like it seemed like they, when they needed a run for a couple yards, it was, I don't want to say easy, but I mean, they moved the line back. And I just think, you know, if they can continue to control the line of scrimmage, they're going to, you know, be a tough team to beat. Yeah. And, and I, I want to, I want to focus the conversation on Kentucky first, because I've got a feeling a lot of people around the country are going to say, well, what happened to Florida? Uh, this, this is about Kentucky. And you look at what Mark Stoops has done there. And I mean, especially like the last five years, this is a completely different program from what it was before he took over. You faced Kentucky every year when you were at Tennessee, and we're talking about, you know, roughly 10 years ago. Tell me the difference between what you see out there on the field right now compared to the Kentucky teams that you went against. Uh, I would have to say the QB position. I mean, I don't I don't want to <laughs> be that guy, but I couldn't name a Kentucky quarterback that's been there in the last 10 years. And so they finally have that leader that they've needed and it shows. I mean, the guys on the team gravitate towards him. He's a great leader. Everybody looks up to him. And he goes out there and puts it on the line each and every week. What do you think of the Kentucky defense? Um, you know, you, you had a, a Florida offense that looked really good through stretches of that game last week against Utah. And Utah is a solid team. And, and yet, Kentucky holds them to one touchdown – like I said, no points in the second half. What are you seeing from that Kentucky defense that that you think would give them a chance to have, you know, yet another really solid, if not great, season uh, this year under Mark Stoops? I think they schemed they schemed Florida really well. They didn't let Ar get out of the pocket, get his you know, extending plays with his feet. You didn't really see any of that tonight, which he did all last week against Utah, and. They just kind of zoned him out and tried to make him beat him throwing the ball, and he struggled tonight. He was – accuracy was not there. I want to take you through Kentucky's remaining schedule 
and uh, tell me what you think their ceiling is. Um, so they're two and zero. Next two games are at home against Youngstown State and Northern Illinois. All right, so we're going to assume four and zero. I'm not going to go through and just win loss win loss, but but I just want to lay it out like the they have a home game against South Carolina later on, road game against Missouri, home game against Vanderbilt, a home game against Louisville. Okay, I mean to me those are all wins based on what I've seen from from Kentucky and all those other teams. Those are all wins. So what that leaves us with is a home game against Mississippi State, which Right now, I would expect Kentucky to win that game. And if they do, that leaves three games. Okay, you got the Georgia game, which even though it's in Lexington, I'm going to assume Georgia wins that. Okay, so there's one loss for Kentucky there. There are only two other games. One is at Ole Miss and one is at Tennessee. If Kentucky can win one of those two games and they don't go blow one somewhere else. I mean, you're looking at a team that I, I think has a great chance to go 10 and 2. What what do you think when you when you hear that schedule after after what you've seen from Kentucky? Yeah, I I would agree with you. Uh I see them they're definitely going to lose to Georgia and I'm not being a homer here, but they're they're going to lose against Tennessee as well. Uh, I think they I think they beat out Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss has some QB issues right now. They're trying to figure out. I don't know. Two QB system is, you know, never a good sign. And so I think they got some stuff to work out. So I think Kentucky can get them there. But I think they they have to go into Tennessee, it looks like. And yeah, it's a tough place to play. Yeah, I mean, so 10 and 2, uh, I mentioned this on Thursday's podcast. That that probably puts you probably puts you in a, a new year six game. You know, if you're 10 and two in the sec now, granted, depending on what Tennessee would do in that situation, I mean, I guess you could go 10 and two and finish third in the sec East. If Tennessee has a good season as well, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think it really sets up for this Kentucky team. If they can keep playing the way that they did, um, they, they've, they've got a great opportunity. Now on that topic of if they can keep playing the way they did, you would have said the same thing about Florida after last week's game, and they didn't play the same way again tonight. When you look specifically at Anthony Richardson, um, just how dynamic he was against Utah and then the struggles that he had against Kentucky, what is what was the big difference for him? And the other part of it is how, how does that happen for a quarterback from one week to the next? I just – I just think he just didn't have it tonight. I just, there's just some nights where, you know, you're not going to hit your throws that you're so used to making. And I think he just, you know, struggled tonight. He wasn't able to get out of the pocket and do what he did against Utah. And that, I think that hurts his style of play. He, uh, he can kill you with the pocket passing, but he wants to, you know, not only do that, but get out of the pocket, you know, be able to threaten the defense with his legs and make them have to commit to either coming up and trying to make a play on him or drop him back and let him run. And so I think it, you know, Kentucky just played, you know, perfect game, not perfect, but played a great uh, game defensively and really took him out of the game. How much of it do you think could be, here's a guy who hasn't started very much. So one, there's inexperience. And two, you have an opponent that after last week had some good film on him 
and and had a much better idea of how Florida was going to use him because it's a new coaching staff at Florida. It's a new offense. It's different from what he ran last year. Uh, how much of it would you attribute to that, which is just like, hey, Kentucky was able to look at last week's game and they maybe had an advantage that Utah didn't have? Yeah, for sure that plays a big part, uh, as you can see how they schemed him. I mean, the interception he threw was from a, you know, it looked like a D end, you know, uh, just coming up and not letting him get out of the pocket. And he tries to throw around into the flats and the guy makes a, you know, a great play. And so I just think, you know, Kentucky had a week of film, saw what Utah struggled against with him, and they capitalized on it this week. So, yeah, Kentucky in a great spot. Um, we're only two games into the season, uh, but a big divisional win for the Wildcats and uh, got Tennessee in front of them, still have Georgia in front of them. And uh, we'll we'll see, you know, what Kentucky's able to do in the SEC East, um, but uh, certainly a promising start. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And that takes us to the Tennessee Vols, who had another game uh, that was played between ranked teams today. Tennessee going up against Pitt uh, on the road. Uh, and, and Pittsburgh was a team that went into Knoxville and, and beat the Vols last year. So this was a, a, a big game for Tennessee after what had happened a year ago. And especially with the, the stage of you know ranked versus ranked, uh, Tennessee's game in, in some ways was very similar to Alabama's in that they injured the opponent's starting quarterback and then the backup quarterback got injured and is out there hobbling around. And yet through all of that, the game came down to the wire. And at the same time, it feels very different because for Alabama, it just felt like sigh of relief. They survived because the expectations for Alabama are so much higher for Tennessee, this you could tell from from Josh Heupel after the game, this was a huge win for the team. And, and look, and, and Tyler, I don't want to diminish the fact that this was a road game against a team that was ranked number seventeen. You know, so, some of sometimes and I'm, I'm including myself in this category. We look at the point spread and we see Tennessee was almost a touchdown favorite, and we think, okay, they're supposed to win this game. And then you see, okay injured quarterback, whatever. Tennessee's definitely supposed to win this game. Um, but I, I don't think Tennessee kind of took anything for granted. This, they were very excited after winning this game. Yeah, I think Heupel's, uh, you know, trying to build a program to, you know, what it once was. And so victories like this, you know, not only help with the team you have now, but recruiting. Recruiting's a, a big thing. 
And so when you beat ranked opponents and go into their place and beat them, it helps with that too and helps you bring in, you know, new set of guys to, you know, release next year. And so I just, I think they did a great job at finishing the game when they needed to. It wasn't, you know, the prettiest. I think they, you know, need to get some, the run game going, but when they needed it, like needed to finish it, they, you know, put the nail in the coffin. What do you think Tennessee did well in this game? I, it, you know, I, it, I think it stretches, especially in the first half. Um, they, they looked really good in the passing game, especially deep balls, even some that they didn't connect on. Look, they really had Pitt's defense off balance. What, what did, what did you see in that area or any other area where, where, you know, overall you were impressed with what Tennessee did? Well, Tennessee's not only got a good quarterback, but they got three good receivers as well. And so when you have guys like that and you can spread the ball out, it's hard for a defense to just key one, one receiver and try to shut him down. So they spread the ball out. Uh, they need to start doing, I think, more up-tempo. When, they, uh, when they're running their up-tempo offense, I mean, they're moving the ball, running and passing. And so I think they need to spend a little more time in that, and I think they'll be fine. So what happened in the, in the second half? Um, the, the game, just, it, it felt like it should have never gone to overtime. Um, that Tennessee had plenty of chances to put it away, and they never did. I know there was a block punt. There was a muff punt return. They gave Pitt some, some short fields off of those. Um, but, but what area would you say that they need to improve in, in if they're going to get better and and in the future, not allow a team that probably shouldn't have hung around to, to be able to hang around the way that Pitt did and have a chance at the end. Uh, I just think it's keeping your, your foot on the gas. It kind of seemed like they let up a little bit with play calling, weren't as attacking. We're almost in a like a clock management style offense. And so I think they just need to keep their foot on the gas. I mean, do what your offense was built to do, and that's up tempo, get to the line of scrimmage. They're, I mean, they lead the FBS and time in between snaps. And so, I mean, use that to your advantage. Yeah. And Pitt was, um, was banged up on the defensive line and had a couple of guys go out in the first half. And you kind of felt like when that happened, all right, this is playing right into Tennessee's hands with the up tempo, you know, you're, you're looking at a team that's already thin up front and they should be able to just get everything going. And you're right. It was, you know, whether it was the play calling or whatever, um, they just, they didn't go for the jugular. It felt like, you know, that they had that opportunity. They let Pitt hang around. And of course, uh, you know, Pitt uh, made a few plays, sent it to overtime. Uh, and then Tennessee ends up winning it uh, with a touchdown in that first overtime period. I want to ask you about that one because it, it was a, it was a ball that was thrown to a receiver who was covered. And I know there are a lot of quarterbacks that wouldn't throw that ball. Um, but I think in this case, Hendon Hooker sees, all right, I've got a receiver who's bigger than the DB. The DB's back is turned. Uh, what what is what is your mindset as a quarterback when you're analyzing the field? And how much of it is is the ability to not just see the proximity of the DB to your receiver, but to actually see the way that his his head is, is facing or where, what direction he's facing as to, you know, how risky of a throw it, it would end up being. It feels like it's, it's a, it's a calculated risk, but it's a high percentage play, right? Yeah. Uh, he has a bigger, bigger receiver than the DB. That's one. 
And I don't think he threw the ball quite where he wanted to throw. I think he wanted to throw it a little more towards the middle of the field because it was almost like a post route. And But when you have a bigger receiver on a small DB, you just give him a chance. You don't want to overthrow him. If anything, you want to underthrow him so he has time to, you know, make adjustments and come back. But he just gave him a, you know, a jump ball. And when a receiver has a smaller DB on his back, it's tough for that guy to go over the top and try to make a play. And so it's just like a, a box out in the end zone for a touchdown. Yes, a big win for Tennessee, like we said, even though, you know, it felt like they survived. Uh, one other team in the SEC, one other ranked team in the SEC would have loved to have been able to say that they survived on Saturday. And, and that was Texas A&M. This one, Tyler, I did not see coming. Uh, App State beats A&M 17-14, and it really wasn't that close. And that was the crazy thing about this game, is if you look at the stats, it was it was far more lopsided. Uh, A&M, for those who didn't see it, had a, a kickoff return touchdown as, as one of its two scores. And, uh, and you know, that, that also uh, impacted the number of, of drives that AM had offensively. They had 38 offensive plays. I, I, I don't know that I have ever seen a team as highly ranked as AM, uh, especially in you know in this modern era where most people are going up tempo and without huddles and all that. 38 offensive plays. And and let's remember App State, just just set the stage for 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 people who who maybe missed this last week. Appalachian State, if you don't know, is in the state of North Carolina. Last week, they had the opportunity to host the University of North Carolina. So an in-state team in the ACC came to their stadium. They're a Sunbelt team. One of those games that you've been looking forward to for years to get that chance. They played them to the wire. App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter, but came up just short one yard short on a two-point conversion to tie, lost 63-61. I mean, you couldn't have been more physically and emotionally spent after a game than App State was. Um, and then they've got to turn around and travel halfway across the country to play a road game against a top 10 team. And then they dominated. This is there, There's no way around this just being an embarrassing loss for Texas A&M in every sense of it. Yeah, most coaches would say that's grit. <laughs> definition it's of what? grit. The definition of grit. Oh, grit, yes. And, uh, I mean, they fought hard last week against North Carolina and then <laughs> carried that right into Texas A&M. And Texas A&M struggled the last two weeks. I mean, they won last week, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty win. It wasn't what you would normally think of a, you know, sixth-ranked in the country type win, and they – coming today and just kind of carried it over and Appalachian state took full advantage of it. I want to, I want to look at some of the stats here because as I just mentioned, Appalachian state gave up 63 points last week to North Carolina and Texas A&M had nine first downs. Not they have 186 yards of total offense as you know, as I alluded to, because of the special teams touchdown, their offense only scored seven points. It's just insane when you look at it and you think that, you know, this team is is ranked 
in the top 10, or at least was ranked. I mean, they might fall all the way out of the top 25 after this performance. Um, what, what do you, what do you make of A&M's offensive struggles? I mean, look, the defense gave up some third downs, right? Like they had chances to get off the field and didn't, but you have to hang this loss on the A&M offense. And as you mentioned, even last week, especially in the first half, they didn't look great. Um, what, what do you see? And, and I may ask you this another way. Is there anything about the A&M offense that you like after watching them through two games? Um, I can't say I really like anything about their offense. I think it, uh, I think it starts with their QB, uh, Haynes King. I think he, he's not the guy he doesn't, you know, fit what they're trying to do there. I don't think he can throw the ball like they want to. I think they need to give the backup a chance because he, he hasn't played well the first two weeks. It's not like he's, you know, giving you any, any extra with his legs to make up for the lack of passing. And so I think you need to give someone else a shot. And I think they need to start running the ball. I mean, their running back's not bad. I mean, he had a you know good year last year, and then all of a sudden it's just like, hey, let's you know we're not going to give him the ball. Yeah, I mean, so some of it's on the offensive line, like you said, a lot of it's on the quarterback, but it's like one of those. It just seems like there's this blame all around. And one of the things I come back to with A and M, and and I, I've been on this soapbox for years is that when A&M hired Jimbo Fisher, and by the way, this is year five for Jimbo at A&M. And remember when he first signed, when he came over from Florida State, that huge contract, um, a lot of people felt like in order to justify that money, he needed to you know, at least win the SEC West, if not make it to the playoff, contend for the national title, et cetera. They felt like when they hired Jimbo that they they weren't just getting one of the few active coaches in college football who had won a national championship, but they were getting one of the best offensive minds in the game and, and a guy who who had produced three first round quarterbacks when he was at Florida State. And, and yet you look at, you know, how just how little Kellen Mond progressed under Jimbo Fisher. You look at what their offense was last year for most of the time. After Haynes King was injured very early in the season, Zach Calzada finished it up. And now you look at two games uh, the next year with Haynes King, and you just, you're not getting anything out of the quarterbacks. And that's that's really where they felt Jimbo was going to make the biggest difference. And I just, I mean, from the, starting from the head coach, I, I, I just think there's a big disconnect. And... You know, I think he's as much to blame as anybody else because this was supposed to be what you could count on him to do, which was to be able to put together good offenses. Yeah, I think they're having a, <laughs> a coming to Jesus moment with the uh, QB situation. I think it's time they, you know, need to move on. Uh, through the first two weeks, it hasn't worked out. I think uh, your first start with your offenses with the QB, and then you need to look at the O-line. Because, I mean, if your O-line isn't moving, I mean, you're going to struggle all day. And as most coaches would say, you know, offense starts with the O-line, and if you don't have a good O-line, you can't move the ball. You mentioned earlier uh, with your your answer about Tennessee, just the importance of winning certain games um, as far as recruiting and, you know, building that program momentum. Texas A&M is coming off of – what most people rated as the number one class in the nation um, this this past you know December and then February, 
And, you know, you, you don't see it. I mean, look, it's only two games in, but you, you don't see a big talent difference on the field. Not that you would expect true freshmen to have an immediate impact, but the bigger point is if you're in the same conference with, with Alabama and Georgia, the way that they recruit, you can't catch them with one great recruiting class. You've got to keep stringing them together. And when you go out and you lose four conference games like AM did last year, you lose a game like this out of conference, and who knows what's to come as we get deeper into the season, you can't sustain that type of recruiting if there aren't results on the field. Yeah, some would say they have the best recruiting class money could buy. And so I think, uh, yeah, one good year is not going to do it. I mean, it takes time. It takes, you know, three years to, you know, get the guys in there, get them learning the system. Cause I mean, jumping from high school to college is a huge jump. I mean, a lot of high school plays are one to two words. If that, I mean, it's not very difficult to learn a high school playbook and you go to college and you're having to worry about so much more. And it's, it's tough for a lot of these guys. And I think, you know, the other schools in the SEC do a good job at, you know, finding those guys that they can mold into the players they want them to be in two to three years. And I just, I don't think Texas A&M's done that. And so on a day when Alabama looked incredibly vulnerable, winning by one point at Texas, you know, just down the road in College Station, you get a result that makes you question, well, is Alabama really that vulnerable? Because Who's going to beat them in the SEC West? If this is what AM is, all right, we, we we saw last week what LSU was against Florida State. And, and look, there, there's there's still other schools out there that haven't dropped a game yet. Um, but but yeah, if you were hoping that AM was going to be the team that was going to rise up and and end Alabama's reign in the SEC West, not going to happen this year. It sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> no, it does not. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so here's the the part of the podcast that I really enjoy, which is taking questions from some of our listeners. And Tyler, uh, one of the questions that came in is about Arkansas. And Mitch wants to know, what do you make of the Razorbacks right now? Uh, We've seen them I play think, twice, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, week one, they squeaked one out, didn't play their best ball. And I think, uh, you know, week two, I said in – one of the last episodes that the Pittman needed to get the run game going, needed to get his O-line, you know, hungry. And he did that this week. I mean, they kind of ran at will when they wanted to. 
They had big chunk plays uh, that we didn't see in week one. Uh, I think KJ handled the ball. He was a game manager today, you know, 18 to 21. Wasn't a big flashy game. Wasn't, you know, a lot of shots downfield. But I think offensively, they were very balanced today. And if Arkansas stays like that, I think they're going to be a tough team to beat. Where would you position them in the SEC West based on what you've seen? Uh, they're definitely, I, I'd say, number two. Uh, Ole Miss, I think, is still ranked, but I haven't really played anybody yet. That's, you know, a big-time game. Until we see that, I don't think you can move them past Arkansas. Fair enough. Fair enough. Arkansas was my uh, SEC sleeper, by the way, coming into the season. Now, they were preseason ranked, and I, I, I clarified that when I made that pick. I know they're ranked, but but I felt like Arkansas was a team that when I looked at the schedule had a good chance uh, to have the type of season that Ole Miss had last year. You know, 10-2, and two, end up in the uh, uh, in a New Year's Six game. And, and I, I, I'm with you. That's kind of what I see when I look at them. Um, we, we have a, a question um, from Twitter. Uh, it comes to us from Tidebits. I, I love Twitter because you get great names. Um, does Bama have the talent at wide receiver to run the table? Based on what you saw today, just, you know, today against Texas, what would, what would your answer be? I would say no. I don't think they could. I mean, if they went in and played Georgia like they played Texas today, I think it's it'd look a lot like the the Oregon game did. Uh, as crazy as that might sound, but they don't have the deep threat that they've had in years past. I mean, they're having a dink and dunk and not getting those big chunk plays they're used to having. I mean, they had the ADR run today, but I'm talking more throwing the ball. They haven't had you know the throws they've had in the past and the exciting offense we've seen, and so. I think they're going to struggle when they, you know, have to play a good team. Yeah, I, I think when when they get into games against better defenses, and look at this point, I guess we're just speculating that Texas is not a, a great defense. Um, maybe maybe that'll turn out to be to be wrong. But you know, I, I think about last year. There were a number of games last year where it kind of felt like receivers couldn't get open. Like this isn't the first time we've seen this from from Alabama with Bryce Young as the quarterback. He's just looking, looking, and there's nobody there. Last year, Jamison Williams, after a few games, started to emerge as that, that big play guy who was stretching the defense. And you're right. You, you don't see that on this year's team. And my feeling is if it's there, it, it's either going to be Tyler Harrell, the Louisville transfer, who is a speed guy who has not played yet through the first two games. He's been banged up, but but is expected to be out there soon. He could be that guy, if, if or it could be a true freshman. Um, and there, there are a couple of true freshmen, I think, could be in, in that mix, but uh, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to prove it in practice and get on the field. And so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there, Tyler. Like, right now, with, with the absence of a, of a deep threat, it, it doesn't seem like um, as, as much as the SEC West seems to be ripe for the taking, it just doesn't seem like, like Alabama is going to be able to get through it without dropping a game somewhere if they can't get more explosive on offense. And then um, the, the last question that we have here, and I'm, I'm going to, let me see if I can try to paraphrase this because this was a, this was a long question that we got through email uh, from Dossie. 
Um, he, he addressed it to me. He said, I think I heard you say on ESPN radio one time on a Sunday after a college football Saturday. Um, and let me just preface, I know what he's talking about here. And this was, I want to say this was like 2014. This is about like eight years ago. Um, that the sign of a great dynasty beginning to fall apart is when they struggle to put away bad teams. You then made a point that same day that Alabama had dominated everybody, good and bad teams, et cetera. Okay, so what happened is I had written an article for ESPN.com, and the reason I'm pretty sure it was the 2014 season is because Alabama and Oregon uh, were the top two seeds going into the playoff that year. And the angle was kind of, um, this was earlier in that season, uh, was, and you just got to remember how good Oregon used to be. This was Chip Kelly into, you know, handing off to Mark Helfrich. And, and they were destroying people in the Pac-12. And, and I, I made the comment that, that if you look historically at the most dominant programs, the first sign that they're starting to slip they're losing their edge is when unranked teams start to challenge them. And I made the point that it, it had just started to happen to Oregon. They'd had a couple of games that season that were close, but it had not started to happen to Alabama. And my whole point of it was to, was Oregon's going to fall off before Alabama does. And obviously that happened. So what we've seen from Alabama the last two years to today against Texas was the fifth regular season win by seven points or fewer that Alabama has had in the last two seasons. So when I say two seasons, we're talking about last season plus two games, okay, of this season. Five wins by seven points or fewer. In the previous six seasons combined, Alabama had four wins by seven points or fewer in the regular season. So this this is... This is different. You know, we're not used to seeing Nick Saban teams play close games in the regular season, and especially not against unranked teams. So just, Tyler, from your perspective, when you when you hear all that, what are your thoughts? I know uh, you were playing when this dynasty was really built by Alabama, when they were starting to first put it together and go on that run where they won three national championships in four years. And it's amazing it's gone as long as it has. And I'm not saying that they aren't, you know, a, a – serious threat to win it again this year. But but there are signs here that I don't even know if I want to say teams are catching up to them as much as there just seems to be something missing from Alabama that hasn't been missing um, in, in the previous few seasons. Yeah, I think major thing is probably recruiting uh, when it comes down to it. When you see teams fall off over – not fall off, like they, they haven't fallen off, obviously, but – they're definitely regressing in sorts. They're not doing the huge blowout wins that they used to. I think teams are starting to kind of catch them in the recruiting game. I think all the coaches that are leaving Alabama and moving to different schools who are big parts of the recruiting process for Nick Saban are stealing the usual talent that Alabama would get. And so I think his web of coaches is spread out far enough now to where you know, they're still in those top players that he was so used to easily getting. Yeah, well, look, at, and I, I think there's something to that. And I know some people say, well, if you look at the rankings of their recruiting classes, um, they're still right up there, if not number one, close to it. But what I would say to your point is, is the two areas where they seem to have really fallen off these last two years, where we're used to them being so dominant, are receiver, which we just talked about, 
where, where there's not the game breaker. There's not the, this guy is unquestionably a first round pick. I mean, really for the last decade plus Alabama's pretty much had one of those guys every year, like the, at least one. I mean, that you're looking at like that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like you go back from, from Julio into Amari Cooper into Calvin Ridley into what four of them simultaneously with, you know, they had uh, Jerry, Judy, Devonte Smith, Henry Ruggs, and Jalen Waddle all at the same time. And then Jamison Williams transferred in last year was a first round pick. I, I don't see that guy this year. No. And, and so that's one area. The other is the offensive line where despite having a, a lot of five stars and high four stars, they're not dominating. They're not, they're not blowing people off the ball. Bryce young is under pressure too much. I mean, fortunately for them, the, the guy is incredible with his feet and maneuvering in the pocket, making throws um, while he's not stationary. But this is this is not what we're used to seeing from Alabama at those at, at those two position groups offensively, and I, th I think that's a big part of of what seems to have changed. Yeah, I think the offensive line still though. I mean, they're not dominating like they used to, but I mean, he has all day to throw back there. I feel like some of the times he's you know getting pressured or because he's sitting back there for so long that eventually someone breaks through because it's hard for those old linemen to block for that long especially if he's moving side to side in the pocket, it's tough for them to hold onto their blocks for that long. And so I think it's kind of a mixture of them doing, you know, good up front and just taking too much time to throw the ball. And that was a lot of Alabama conversation. Um, those two questions. And then, and then at the very beginning of the show, but look, it's, it's not every day that uh, Alabama has a one point win and we get a chance to, uh, to, to question whether the dynasty is nearing its end. I'm not about to say that, by the way, I've, I've spent the last 15 years listening to people speculate that the dynasty's over and it, it, it seems to, to always survive uh, these close calls and come out on the other side. Don't forget they lost at A&M last year and they still took the lead into the fourth quarter of the national championship game. So uh, I think Alabama is going to be all right, but uh, definitely were some things today to be concerned about. So Tyler, thanks as always uh, for, for talking sec football with me and um, for, for everybody else out there. Um, thanks for downloading. And uh, you can get us again on, uh, on well, you, you can get me, you'll get Tyler again every, uh, every Saturday night. You can listen to it on, on Sundays. Um, but our show, Fourth and Manageable, you can get it on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. So thanks for listening, and we'll be talking to you on Tuesday. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.